here. How come the first class people just, they can just get on whenever they want? I've always hated that. First class people, board at your leisure. Take your time, first class people. Mm. <laughs> Coach people, no, wait, sit, sit, scuzz. Wait, little piggies. <laughs> so when you do get on, the first class people, they're already sitting there. They're all sprawled out in their big thrones. Bring me the head of a pig. <laughs> and a goblet of something cool and refreshing. Anyone have a fiddle? Make someone from Coach fiddle for me. Amuse me. They have fiddles in the overhead racks up there. You're not allowed to even use their bathrooms. The bathrooms up front are for our first-class passengers. The coach bathrooms are located at Newark Airport. <laughs> Concourse C. Concourse C, ladies and gentlemen. So when you do board, the first-class people, they're sitting there. A lot of them are working as you're boarding. They have computers out and calculators. They're looking up at you like, hey, we're making money right now. <laughs> Right now we're making money. Go, get in the back. Close that curtain, I don't wanna see it. Even in my peripheral. Ah. Snap it, snap it shut. What's the matter with us? They gotta cover us up with a tarp. And you go in the back, everybody has coloring books. <laughs> Where was you at? You're in the middle, and there's nine of us, and you're in the middle, and we have all the armrests, so you gotta sit like this. You gotta figure out a way to eat your snack while your elbows are touching. You gotta learn how to twist your little plastic utensil. And isn't that the truth? If you're in first class, if you're the front of the plane, it's totally okay if you're the favorite. But if you're back in seat 199 eating the frozen fish head, it is no fun at all. That's what we're talking about this weekend, favoritism. As we continue on in this series in the book of James that we've called Plain James, we're talking about favoritism today. So if you take your Bible and if you would turn with me to James chapter 2 starting in verse number 1 through verse number 13, we're going to kind of walk through that passage today. Now, as we talk about favoritism, let me give you a working definition that kind of helps us. Here it is. Favoritism is a discrimination of someone based on external factors at the expense of someone else. Favoritism is a discrimination of someone based on external factors at the expense of someone else. And the Bible says, according to the book of James, that favoritism and faith in Jesus Christ do not mix. That there is no place for favoritism to discriminate against someone for someone else. There's no place for that in the body of Christ. And that we as Christ followers shouldn't have that in our life and we shouldn't have it in our churches. Now remember, James is talking to the Christ follower. The audience that he's speaking to are these first century believers that are in Jerusalem. These are the, these are the people that know better. And he's reminding them and he gives some, well, some illustrations that we're going to see as we walk through this passage. So he begins to start to talk about the problems with favoritism. And the first problem that he deals with is that favoritism originates from wrong motives. 
Favoritism comes from wrong motives. Wrong motives of the heart is what drives favoritism. Let's read together in verse 1 through verse 4. James says this, My brothers and sisters, remember he's speaking to Christ followers, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And he begins with this illustration in verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man and filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man you say, stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is really clear that Favoritism comes from, it originates from wrong motives, from, from, from a desire that basically, how can this help me? See, when we operate with favoritism, what happens is we do this for personal gain. The issue of favoritism, the root of it, it's, it's all about me. And Jesus teaches that to follow him is not about me, it's all about others. Jesus said of himself that he, as our example, that he came uh, to seek and save that which is lost. He came to be a, a servant of humanity. He came to, to help. He came to, to, to help the hurting and to, and to help the poor. And he came to do these things. And the reality is, is that when we operate with favoritism, when we show preference for someone who, quite frankly, on the outside, um, they look like maybe they had the ability to help us or they look like that they are somebody or... or Whatever, what we're really doing is we're doing that based on our own self-servanthood. We're doing that based upon what's good for me. How does this help me? Because quite frankly, if you see someone that looks like they don't have anything, you think to yourself, well, that person can't help me, so what am I going to do to help them? And you kind of dismiss them. But when you see someone who looks like they've kind of got it all together and they, they've kind of got the right clothes and, and the right look and the right thing all going together, you think to yourself, hey, maybe that's someone I want to be friends with. Hey, maybe that's someone that can help my business. Hey, maybe that's someone that we'd want to have in our church. And again, being raised in church my whole life, like many of you, uh, having been in church, you, you see this from time to time, where churches will prefer or, or, or they'll, they'll, they'll go after or they'll target um, certain demographics or certain people because bottom line is they will say, well, these people can help us and these people can't. These people will help our vision and these people can't help our vision. The, and the gospel says that's not what it's all about. For whosoever calls on the Lord will be saved. Jesus said he didn't come to the, to the wealthy and the healthy and the wise. He came to the sick and to the poor and to the destitute. And so the first thing we see the problem with favoritism is that it comes from wrong motives. The second issue we see that James talks about is that it's just unjust. It's just unjust. And, and the word unjust means it's not based on or behaving on what's morally right and fair. That basically that this is immoral. That this is, it's wrong. He says it in verse 5, in the beginning of verse 6, just like this. Let's read. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? To inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. How? By showing favoritism. See, the bottom line is, is that the kingdom of God is upside down. That if you want to be first, you've got to be willing to be last. If you want to be served, then you must first serve. If you want to have friends, then you must first be friendly. And so when favoritism comes in, 
it, it's all about me. And the problem with that is, is that then those people that, are, that we're supposed to be serving, that we're supposed to be helping, that we're supposed to be giving our lives to, in essence, what happens is, is we push away from those people and we begin to serve ourselves. And so injustice occurs. Now, we hear a lot about injustice in our world and in our, in our society. But, and, and I know there's some people that have, you know, take things too far and this and that. But I actually think it's a good thing. I actually think it's, it's raised the awareness that we are to help people. We are to serve people. That when we give a cup of cold water in His name, we, we've, we've done it unto Him. That we, when, 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 we, when we serve people that are hurting, we, we're actually serving the Lord. When, when we really go to the poor and to those that don't have the ability to give back to us, we've actually acted in a just way. See, favoritism wants me to be unjust. Favoritism wants me to morally discriminate against someone. But the Word of God calls for justice. The Word of God calls for fairness. The Word of God says that we, of all people, as Christ followers, should be individuals, that we should serve those that are poor, that we should serve those that are in need, that we should give and that we should go. That's really a lot what fuels our missions and outreach here at Life Church. Is it's all about giving of ourselves, of our time and our talent and our treasure, and going whether it's around the corner or around the world, to do what? To serve, to give, to love, to the least of these. And the Bible says that when you've done it unto these, Jesus said, you've done it unto me. We, the church of Jesus Christ, should be the voice for those who have no voice. We, the church of Jesus Christ, should help those who have no help. We, who are followers of Jesus Christ, should be the ones who serve this world. And when we allow favoritism into our lives, we allow favoritism into our church, when we allow favoritism into how we do life, we're wrong because we basically push aside those that have the needs, those that, that need the justice, and we operate in an unjust way, James says. Again, I'm just telling you what the book says. Don't get mad at me. Don't shoot the messenger. He goes on to say, though, that the next issue with favoritism is self-defeating. It doesn't make any sense. It's self-defeating. Look at this in the rest of verse 6 and verse 7. James says, is it not the rich who are exploiting you, the same people that you're showing favoritism to? Are they not the ones that are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones that are blaspheming the noble name of to whom you belong? See, James says here, favoritism will never help you. It will only hurt you. It's self-defeating. Defeating. Because here's the deal. When we play favorites, when we show preference in our lives, in our church, what happens is we're doing that for our own personal benefit. We talked about that just a second ago with the wrong motives. And we think we're going to get ahead. We think maybe the church is going to get ahead. We think maybe things... But the reality is it's kind of like shoots and ladders. We take a step forward and then we slide four steps back and we never get ahead. One of the things at Life Church that we really try to do is just love people right where they are. Why? Because God didn't call us to be keepers of the aquarium. He called us to be fishers of men. God called me to be a fisher of men, not to be a cleaner of men. Meaning, I catch the fish, but the Holy Spirit does the cleaning job. It doesn't mean that we don't preach Christ and Him crucified or preach the full canon of Scripture. But it means that the conviction power of the Holy Spirit is what changes men's life. Not me, not you, not the church. We are the bride of Christ. We're the reflection of Jesus Christ. We're to live pure and holy before him, and we're to love people right where they are. And any time that we began to try to show favorite, favoritism or show favorites or this or that, 
based upon what we think is going to be best for us. And, and, well, this person has the ability to help us, or this person could help us build the building, or this person could help us with this, or they could give money for this, or do you know who that is, or that? When you begin to build a church on those things, it's so fleeting. The beautiful thing about Life Church is it doesn't matter what your last name is or how much money you make or where you're from or what your background is. We're a community of believers that believe that we're just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. That we're here to serve God and to love man. And that, and that we're here to, 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 to live a life in such a way. And, and anytime we deviate from that, anytime we get away from that, anytime we begin to walk away from that and we try to build a church based on, well, these are the kind of people that we want to go after, or these are the kind of people that we want to go, or you know, these are good Christian people, or these, what we're basically saying is these are the preferential people. James says you can't do that. James, as a matter of fact, when you try to placate, when you try to preferential preferentially treat people that you think have the ability to help you and you play favorites, those are the people that are causing you your problems. Those are the people that have the issues. So don't play favorites. It's a self-defeating activity. Favoritism will never help you. It will only hurt you. And the next thing that James says is that favoritism is sin. I mean, he calls it sin. Let's read it here in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. If you really keep the royal law, that's a reference back to the Levitical law found in the book of, Le- of Leviticus that says to love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking the entire law. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. And, it, and if you do not commit adultery, and you do not uh, commit murder, but you, ha- but you have become a lawbreaker. Why? Because you have broken part of the law. Th- that, that's the issue. Is, is he's saying about favoritism. That sin is sin. Large, small. We as humans, we like to judge sin and go, well, you know, man, if you're this kind of a sinner, you're in this category. If you're this kind of sinner, you're in this category. Eh, this is not that bad. And, well, what about, James says, no, 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 no. Listen to me, Christ followers. You're either perfect and you keep the entire law or you're a sinner. And just because you don't commit murder and just because you don't commit adultery, but if you are showing favoritism, you're committing Sin. And by committing that one sin, it's as though you've committed all the sins. Now we know that grace comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And that God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and the, the people that G, James is speaking to, the first century Christians, they knew this as, as well. But James is wanting to let them know, hey, this favoritism isn't a little thing. Because in our lives we go, well, we're not murdering anybody. Well, we're not killing anybody. Well, we're not committing adultery. We're not stealing anything. It's just a little favoritism. We're just trying to... He goes, no, 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 no. Sin is sin. And he calls it for what it is. It's the reason why anytime in a local church where you begin to see where there is favoritism, where people that uh, are perceived that they have the ability to help the church and to advance things forward financially or by resources or influence or names or, or Whatever. 
they're treated with preferential treatment. And people that don't have the ability to give or to do or don't have the right last name or they're not as connected. Anytime you begin to see those inequities come in, what happens is, is sin is coming to the church. And God's real, real plain. He said that he's looking for a church without spot or without wrinkle that's washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're not perfect, but we are to be keepers of purity and holiness in the local church. And if we allow favoritism to come in, James says we're allowing sin to come in. If I, as a Christ follower, although I'm not a murderer or an adulterer, if I allow favoritism to come into my life, I'm a sinner. I am sinning. I'm sinning against God. And when I sin against God, the Bible is very clear that when I, as a Christ follower, have sin in my life, God doesn't hear my prayers. When we as a local church, if we allow favoritism to come in and we allow sin into the church, God won't hear our prayers until we deal with the sin. That's Old Testament and New Testament. It's all the way through. Why? Because God is pure and God is holy. And James is saying, look, don't take light of this thing. Don't just act like it's partiality or it's just a little bit of an injustice or an inequity. It is sin, and we cannot allow it to be in here. The last thing he says is that the problem with favoritism is that it brings judgment. That there is a coming judgment. That we as a church, we as Christ followers, will be judged for our actions. Verse numbers 12 and 13, he ends with this. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And mercy trumps over judgment. We, as Christ followers, we as a local church, we as the bride of Jesus Christ... We'll be judged for our actions of fairness and justice and equity and how we treat people. That's a big deal. We as a body will stand before a holy God and we'll give, we will give an account for how we treated people that came into this place. Do you know the most valuable resource, the most valuable asset in the church? It's not money. It's not a bank account. It's not buildings. It's not the pastor. It's the people. It's you. It's every single one of you that sit here today. Every single one of you that are here today. It's you. Jesus didn't die for, for ministerial rank or, or for privilege or for money or for buildings. He died for humanity. And every time we play favorites against the humanity that he died for... We undercut what he did, and we try to undermine what he did on the cross. And the reality is, we're going to be judged for that. So how should we act? What should we do? We should value what God values. We should love what God loves. We should, we should endear ourselves to what he endears himself to. And what is that? Humanity. Loving people. Let me encourage you, all of us, today, as we kind of wrap things up, just to do a personal inventory to ask of ourselves. Am I playing favorites? Am I preferentially treating people based upon the biases of what I think they can do for me? Do I do that in my office? Do I do that in my neighborhood? Do I do that at my school? Do I do that at church? And I'm not talking about, hey, I like this person because they're funny and, and, and I get along with this person better than that person. That's personality. That's not. But favoritism goes, I'm discriminating against one person for my own gain, for my own benefit, 
for my own good. As a ministry leader, as someone that this is your church and, and this is where you worship, do you find yourself doing that? And if you do, either personally or in corporately as a body of Christ, let us just say, man, today, God, forgive us. God, help us to be what you want us to be. And strive just to love people. Something says sometimes in us that if I just love people and I don't, then what about judgment of sin? The Bible never calls you and I to be judges of sin. It calls us to love. It calls us to, 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 to minister. It, causes, it calls us to, to be his hands and his feet. And we do that with how we treat each other. We do that with how we treat the community in which this church is located. We, we're we're going to do that in the western suburbs as we open up this new campus. Um, we, we, we do that with our missions. We do that with uh, whether it's around the corner or around the world. We, we do that in our neighborhoods. We do that with how we treat people. And we do that because we understand that we give an account, not just to ourselves, not just to each other. We give an account to God. So as we close today, I want to read you a story that, man, I've had in my files for years. And uh, I just think it kind of sums this whole thing up about favoritism. You might have heard this before, but um, if you had, I, I think you'll, you'll be okay with me reading it again. Miss Thompson was a school teacher who every year would say to her students, Boys and girls, I love you all the same, and I have no favorites. And of course, she wasn't being completely truthful, for teachers do have favorites, and what's worse, most teachers have students that they simply just don't like. Teddy Stollard was a boy that Miss Thompson simply didn't like, and for good reason. He didn't seem interested in school. He wore a deadpan, blank expression on his face. His eyes were glassy and unfocused. And, and when she spoke to Teddy, he merely shrugged his shoulders. His clothes were, were messy and his hair was unkept. And he was basically an unattractive boy and simply wasn't likable. And whenever she marked Teddy's paper, she got a certain kind of perverse pleasure out of putting the X's on the wrong answers. When she put the F's at the top of the papers, she did it with a flair. And she should have known better, but... She had, because she had Teddy's records, and she knew more about him than what she wanted to admit. So she began to read the records, and here's what they said. First grade, Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, but he's got a poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better. Mother's seriously ill. She receives, he receives little help at home. Third grade, Teddy is a good boy, but too serious. He's a slow learner, and his mother died this year. Fourth grade, Teddy is very slow but well-behaved, and his father shows no interest. At Christmas, the boys and girls in Miss Thompson's class bought, brought her presents and piled them on her desk and crowded around to watch her open them. Among the presents was one from Teddy Stollard. She was surprised that he had brought her a gift, and Teddy's gift was wrapped in a brown paper bag and held together with scotch tape. And on the paper were written the simple words, For Miss Thompson, from Teddy. When she opened Teddy's present, out fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The other boys and girls began to giggle and smirk over Teddy's gifts, but Miss Thompson at least had the sense to silence them by immediately putting on the bracelet and dotting some of the perfume on her wrist. 
holding up her wrist for the other children to smell. She said, doesn't it smell lovely? And the other children, taking their cue from the teacher, readily agreed with oohs and ahs. When school was over and the other children had left, Teddy lingered behind, and he slowly came over to her desk and softly said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother, and her bracelet looks real pretty on you too. I'm glad you like my presence. When Teddy left, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her. And the next day when the children came to school, they were welcomed by a new teacher. For Miss Thompson had become a different person. She was no longer just a teacher. She had become an agent of God, committed to loving her children and doing things for them that would live on after her. She helped all the children, but especially the slow ones, especially Teddy Stollard. By the end of that school year, Teddy had shown dramatic improvement, and he had caught up with most of the students and even ahead of some. Once the school year ended, Miss Thompson didn't hear from Teddy for a long time. And then one day she received a note that read, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I'll be graduating second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, another note came. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me that I'll be graduating first in my class and I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I've had a good four years. Love, Teddy Stollard. And four years later... Another letter came, Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know that I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. And I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat if she were alive. For you, the only family that I have now, my dad died last year. Love, Teddy Stollard. Miss Thompson went to the wedding and sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. And she deserved to be there. For she had done something for Teddy that he could never forget. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. That's a light to our path and a lamp into our feet. And I pray, God, today, as we talk about the subject of favoritism, that we'd search our own hearts. That if we found, even in being good people, maybe we've been kind of like Miss Thompson. We just kind of played favorites. Lord, that you'd show us that and that you would help us to see people the way you see, to see the, the Teddy Stollards in our life the way you see them, with potential and with promise. Not where they are, but where they can be. And I pray, God, you'd forgive us individually because this is something that is so easy just to kind of slip into our lives. And I pray, Father, as a church, that we would always always strive to be a church that just loves people right where they are. That we, we don't say to people that look like they have means to sit here in a place of prominence and to people that look like they don't have much in this world that we dismiss them or just push them off. But let us love people the same. Let us love people that come into our doors the same. Let us love people outside the doors of this church the same. God, I pray that you would enlarge our circle of love. Lord, that you would help us as we live this life to be more like you. Less of us. God, crucify our flesh. Crucify our self-seeking, self-indulgent ways. And God, let us live a life that's selflessly given to you. And let this church always be a church that is not about us. It's about them. It's about people that are far away from, from you. It's about people that are hurting. It's about people that need your love, your forgiveness, 
your hope and encouragement. Let us be that today, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.